The teams that have had long lasting relationships tend to just produce better products because they know each other better. It's more intimate, like they just are more productive. And it's very hard to measure that, right? Like it's just, there's just, and it just kind of happens. Well, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Cloud Talk. I'm your host, Jeff Deverter, and I'm the Chief Technology Evangelist for us here at Rackspace Technology. Now, I've got a great guest here for you today who you just heard. It's Mark Aretta. Now, Mark leads the developers over at a company called Job Target, and Mark is here to help us kick off a brand new series called The Road to Reinvent. That's right, Reinvent. AWS's flagship conference is just around the corner, and it's so big, and there's so much information. We want to make sure that you are as prepared as possible. So Mark is here to help you, well, choose the right sessions, how to develop relationships or even just conversations with some of the presenters, how to make sure that what you learn there gets incorporated back into your team's day-to-day and maybe even how to have some good fun while you're there. You play your cards right. You might even bump into Mark and I at a karaoke club. All right, make sure you stick around to the end. There's a little bit more information for you out there. But now, let's get into this episode of Cloud Talk. The line between application and infrastructure is virtually invisible in these modern apps. The kind of thing that a global computing fabric with immense resilience and scale can deliver without even breaking a sweat. That's really what the promise of the cloud's always been. It's all focused on the business objectives. That's where we craft the plan. In the tech world, we like to celebrate the lone genius, but I'm just going to tell you right now, they're just the convenient face as founders to focus on. Welcome to Cloud Talk. Here's your host, Jeff Deverter. A lot of folks will come on and they're like, I need a prep session and I need notes and I need all this stuff. And uh, it's like, you know, we're just going to get together and talk about tech. What's what's so hard about that? No. Yeah, for sure. And this is like, this is an exciting time. I mean, not, not just about reInvent, but just generally with, with tech and all of the stuff flowing and all of the in, you know innovation happening with all the you know, major cloud providers these days. Well, and you and I chatted, when was it? Probably back in May is when we had that chat, maybe even April. I don't remember when that recording was, but I almost feel like this is going to be, you know, a continuation of that um, yeah. because we covered so much of your background in all of that. And, uh, but, but, and how, you know, you guys have transformed over time, but there's been a lot of transformation. Of course, in a true cloud world, there should be a lot of transformation since yes. May to, when are we now? Uh, beginning of September. September. Um, so, uh, so what, what, what has been going on? What have you guys been up to? So um, with a lot of the things that have been changing on our side is starting to leverage the work that JobTarget has put together in terms of like putting our data in the cloud and um, making it more accessible. Um, it was very timely too, because with all the stuff happening with OpenAI, you know, everyone got into the large language model Gen AI stuff. And of course, you know, we're no different. Um, and yeah, I'll be anxious to hear how that's impacting you guys. Yeah, I mean, so we we are doing some rudimentary things today. Um, we're we're starting with like a job description builder, a better resume parser, like, and the way I think about it is is twofold. One for the company because I do think you know it's it's important for us to build tools, but two is like anytime you talk to a coder or a developer, right? Like they're, they are brilliant, smart geniuses, but they don't communicate particularly well, or at least they frequently don't communicate. That is not why we hire them. No, that's not why we hired them. It's not a requirement. So of course, you know, that's the, it doesn't come out well. So then you think about that person and then you say, hey, 
you know, you have 15 years experience in this breadth of knowledge, compress all that in a two page resume and send it in to apply for a job. And of course, they're going to misrepresent themselves. They're Isn't mis- interesting, Mark, because you, you know, you really call, I think, a huge thing out. And that is, you know, here's somebody, the core of what they do and what they do really well is in large point at odds with the next thing they need to do. And that's get another job. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So then what, what these tools can, can bring is like a democratization of those skill sets. Like a lot of people think about it in the inverse in that these tools are bringing technology to the people who are not normally technical people. Like yeah. now you can go to a, you know, you can go to, to the chat GBT, write a prompt and say, write me a beautiful HTML page with dancing hamsters on it. And it will, and it'll mostly work. Yeah. Um, and that's one way to look at it. But I like looking at it the other way because it's closer, closer to home for me is, you know, how can the tech people use these things to bridge their gaps and democratize and bridge the communication barriers between them and the other teams? Mark, that's a really interesting thing. And I have literally never thought about this. I've never thought about the fact that, because I always think about how this is upskilling the masses into being able to consume and use tech better, as opposed to how do we take these folks who are already, you know, to, to use a, a phrase, rocket scientists and what they do from a tech point of view. And yeah, I love the democratization. We're bringing the, the folks lower on this, on the, the, the technical skill chain up, and we're taking those who are high on the skill chain and, and helping them with some of those other skills that maybe aren't part of their wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so some other parts that, you know, that we're excited about with these, you know, communication models are, you know, can, can we build an interview trainer? I mean, I, I think about it like the, um, the, the, the veterans who come back and, and they need to get a job and, you know, going through an interview process, it, it really is just about getting your reps, right? Like it's going out there, having it's the interview. about reps. Yeah. What about creating an, an AI to be able to help me get my reps? Yeah, exactly. Because you know, how awkward is it for this poor person who probably has the skills, can probably do the job, but then, you know, you, you open up Zoom and you can't hear them and you can't, you know, even just the basics. And then you open up your first questions. Okay. Tell me about yourself. And they try to, but they stumble on their words and they just lose it. And then 20 interviews later, you know, finally they get there, but they wasted 20 interviews, right? Like they got, got an interview the first time. Yeah. You know, in the, in the old days when I would go, you, anybody goes in for an interview, you know, you could get off your rocker. I remember one, it was one of my first tech interviews actually. And I was really nervous about it and I put on my fancy clothes for it, but I had to get gas on the way. And I stepped in a little puddle of somebody else's spilled gas. And I smelled like gas when I went into this meeting. I could tell it was, it was happening. I mean, the waiting room was like, yes. oh my gosh. And, you know, I was total. I obviously did not get that job, but yeah. I was off my rocker for that one. Cause I, you know, my brain, my brain was not in the game and think yeah. about it. I think your, your point is, is well point and that it put in that is, you know, zoom doesn't work. There's connectivity issues. We both had issues getting into this little tool where we're recording this today, but obviously didn't didn't bother us all that much because yeah. it's just part of the day. But it, but for somebody who this isn't part of their day, yeah, it could really, it could really, you know, set them off. Yeah. And, and so, so getting their reps so they, so that they understand is, is a natural starting point. And then what excites me about going to reinvent is just, you know, I have the unique way I'm thinking about, you know, how do they implement this and my own unique biases. And, and then you have your own unique way and that's the conversations and the networking, like, yes, sure. I'm going to go, um, listen to vendors and their pitches and all of that stuff. But to me, it's about meeting smart people, understanding their points of view, and then trying to merge that with my own worldview and see, you know, what the next cool idea is that comes out of it. That's really cool. And, you know, this is part of that whole road to reinvent series. So I'm glad that you, you used the title before I did. Um, 
And, and, and let's, let's dig into that a little bit more because a lot of people are going to reinvent, you know, you may be a vendor and you're there to schlep your stuff. You may be a presenter who gets to get on stage and do a thing, but there's still 60,000 some odd other human beings who are there. Let's start with how do you connect with some folks? How do you, how do you engage into some conversations that, you know, you can't necessarily put on a schedule, but maybe staying open to saying hi to that person in line or, you know, how do you do that as as somebody who's showing up for the umpteenth time to reinvent, but still surrounded by 60,000 strangers? You, you know, the time that I have the easiest time just having the small talk that leads into interesting conversation for me personally is after the session, you know, the, the person will be like, OK, this is it. But if you have some questions, come up here you know, and, and chat with me. So, of course, you know, me, me being the nerd I am, I was sitting in the front row. I'll go walk up there, ask some questions. Um, but it's not just me who asks questions. There'll be other people. So then it's a natural like, hey, you know, what did you think about the session? What are you going to ask about? And you can like immediately connect because you know that they're in a very similar frame of mind. You do, And you can skip the small talk. Right. What do you think about at this point? How are you going to implement it? What are you going to ask? That's a really good point because a lot of people, myself included, will go to a session. You sit into that thing. The person must be super fancy and super smart. They're up there on stage. They've been invited to come and talk. Yeah. And you think, you know, who am I to go up there? Well, they're just you. They're just you, maybe one or two clicks farther forward, whoever you may be listening to this, because everybody has the opportunity ultimately to get out and be able to do that kind of kind of stuff. And they want to engage. They're not pious. They're not trying to avoid you. These aren't people trying to hide from the paparazzi. They are your people. So just get up there and ask them, get in their face and say, awesome what you said about this, but I don't understand that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, I mean, I, I tell even my most junior devs this all the time. Like, I learn just as much about you or from you as as I do when I learn from you know the experts in the field because you just think about things differently, and that different perspective makes you think about something in a more unique way. And the world has evolved. I mean. I can't learn from from TikTok from my, from the people who mentored me, right? Like, and when I think about new UIs and all the stuff that people are doing today, like the tech world just moves so fast. Um, it is. It's a, it's a time when technology, you know, in a lot of cases, with some of the 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 latest and greatest in tech, it's awesome. I'm not. Don't get me wrong. It's awesome. But there is still so much that we can do with what is here right now in production, ready to rock and roll. And, and I've had a lot of times where I've been standing in that line, waiting to talk to that speaker. Yeah. Here's, you know, this guy or gal standing next to me and is like, what did you think of the thing? How have you been using it? Or what transformed your area? Don't be afraid to, to talk to that person standing right next to you. Who's in the exact same boat you are, yeah. because there is absolutely something you can learn from them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And people are going there to have the conversation. Like you said, I mean, it's easy to look at some of some of these people are like my idols. There are people at reInvent that um, I always watch their session because they always talk about these things. But they're ultimately there because they want to engage with you. Like if they didn't want to engage with you, it's optional. They don't have to be there to go and present. Like they could have delivered their message in a different way. They're doing it because they want to impact. You. That's right. And the people who are there are listening there because they want to participate. They, yeah, they want to participate. They want to share their knowledge. They're not there because they're getting big bucks to stand on stage because you know what? You do that stuff for free. Yeah. Uh, you might get a pass out of it if you're you know, on main stage. But at the end of the day, they are there to share what they know. Now, here's a question for you. I'm going to jog your memory. Think back to one time you did go up and, and ask a question. What'd you learn? Uh, so the I, 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 the most recent time was actually not at reInvent, but it was at New York Summit, which is very similar. Um, oh, did you go to New York Summit? Yeah, yeah, but so it was Ishit, I think, uh, the the gentleman who runs the the um, enterprise um, 
enterprise dev teams or something like that at AWM. And the, what he was talking about is when you change, when you measure something, sometimes the act of measuring it invalidates the measurement itself. He, he was telling a story about like um, they wanted to know they they were measuring how fast a pencil will come out of a factory, so they built smaller pencils so that the, the pencils would come out faster, but that defeated the purpose. Yeah. Um, and you know that happens to me and my company all the time, right? Like we you use the base measurements for for software developers to go, okay, I want to make sure you get more tickets out. All of a sudden, the ticket is a thirty second ticket. That's right. And, well, uh, I can slice yeah. this one th- this one hour project up into five different things, and yeah. don't I look awesome? Yeah, for sure. So then I was asking, okay, so how how do you how how would you merge that um, across many many dev teams? Because a lot of times I don't even see that until it's six months later. I'm like, oh wow, you guys really did great. And then I look at the net net output, and it didn't really get there. And it was just a, a change in philosophy. It's yes, you want to do the measurement. Yes, the, the it, it matters. And if you don't measure it, it, it um, you can never know if you're if you're being better. But ultimately, like the measurements all should come in to and resonate with the value you're delivering to your customer. Yeah. And it all has to come back to that. You know, it's not about money. It's about, you know, what can we give to them and make sure that all the measurements together add up to, you know, whatever it is the customer is getting. And that that helped us in how we restructured our Jira instances and how we're helping um, um, think about our processes to make it more streamlined. Mark, that's so really interesting. Right I, think, I think that applies a whole lot outside of even just, you know, measuring the pencils or measuring the code, measuring the right. tickets. You know, think about the, the the conversations that are happening right now around, you know, uh, air quotes for those of you who aren't watching, uh, return to office. And that is, it's really comfortable to measure productivity based on the number of people you can see sitting out in your, your cubicle rows and think, oh, yeah. we're doing a good thing. Everybody's head is down. Hey, look, tickets are even, you know, we're cranking out tickets too. You know, there are a lot of false measures in there. But, you know, one of the things I think that people learned to measure very well by through COVID was let's measure based on productivity. Let's measure based on output. What are the goals of these teams and how do we actually make that stuff happen? And so I think what you're talking about here as it relates to chunking out tickets in a tech team to now thinking on a larger scale, how do we actually um, work better together to create a better experience for our company, ultimately for our customers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and when, when you talk about COVID too, and people being in the, like, we haven't fully returned to office yet either. That's definitely one of the things I'm excited about to go to reinvent and eat, to summit and other things. It's it's times to get together with the team because I don't yeah. see them as often as I used to see them. And that's okay, right? Like they're, they are more productive by every every measurement. Yeah. Um, but these are moments where you, you get to step away from the day-to-day of trying to solve our, our very tactical problems and get, you know, get to know them a little bit better, you know, see how they're doing and get to know other people little bit better. You know, I think that what, what we look for in, in a return to office type of an experience, because hybrid work is here for here to stay, you know, whatever happened in 2019 and how we used to work or January 1st of 2020, uh, those days are gone and they're gone forever. You know, you can, you can have folks who are going to twist their arms and try to get people to show back up in very forceful ways. In fact, Amazon has made some pretty forceful statements over the past few weeks. I know some large companies here in San Antonio who have done that as well. But when you can use the the going to the office, whatever that might be, even if the office is, is reinvent, to do um, team building, to connect with individuals, yeah. because it's that connection that I think we lose when it's all remote. I'm saying we, not saying we can't do it, but there's an element that is just better when you're face-to-face than, than, than when you're across the screen. 
Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. And also, like, pro- projects projects don't last forever. I mean, may- maybe if you wrote a Cobalt thing 20 years ago, maybe it's still around. <laughs> 40 years general, ago. You know, most of the yeah. stuff we're working on today will be gone in three or four years. But it, it, the relationships last, at least the, the ones that you, you take the time to nurture and develop. And the teams that have had long-lasting relationships tend to just produce better products because they know each other better it's right. more intimate like they just are more productive and it's very hard to measure that right like it's, it's just there's just and it just kind of happens um there's no way to predict that this team is going to stick together for four or five years and be able to you know really innovate in their space and really enjoy working with each other um, well and a, and a team like this especially on a tech side is a team that maybe shouldn't be together in its current forum for three and four and 10 years. Yeah. Uh, you know, that that dynamic, as fast as technology is going, we need to bring more people in who maybe know some stuff that we don't know to continue yeah. to, to challenge us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, the other thing that we're looking forward to reinvent when, when, when we're out there is um, – there, there's a lot of times where we get stuck in a problem and um, I, I've seen, you know, the little memes where like oh, when you're trying to solve a problem and you're staring at it, it's like the stream of water. But when you're walking, it's a waterfall. And I feel like when you're at reInvent, it's like a typhoon, right? Like there's just all of these different ideas bouncing around and then all of these business problems I didn't have an answer for. All of a sudden, I have these like really unique, cool things that are coming that, that had really nothing to do with the session itself. It's just yeah. the way they talked about it just spark something else and it's that it's like being able to just brainstorm for for a while and come up with new cool things now let me ask you if you have the same challenge that i will tend to have because i will have that exact same experience and uh, especially when you're out of your element it, it the, the physical act of being out of your element just frees up your brain to look at things in a different direction and then when you're hearing all these ideas it gets you challenged as well i get frustrated long about the end of day one because I can't actually go implement it immediately. It's like, oh, no, there's there's days to go here. But yeah, you know, so how do you how do you catalog capture those ideas so that when you do get back the next week that you can still action on it? Because I will get to a point then by the end of the week with the 50 pages of content that I've now created or written down, you know, it, it, it you can be under a mountain. Which ones do you choose? So how do you how yeah. do you get productive, you know, the week after? Yeah. So, so for me, um, I'm, I'm a little bit old school. So I, so I have, you know, one of the, you know, Moleskin notebooks and I'm, and I'm always scribbling stuff down. But like you said, the problem is by the end of day one, there's 20 pages and, and it's right. hard to, it's hard to reconcile. So, um, I try to make a conscious effort on, on at lunch. I try to sit with people that I don't know and like kind of share some notes to, to try to jog some things. And then at dinner, the, the teams generally try to organize things. And then oh, we, we always talk about the stuff and we, and I, and we just peruse the notes. And go, What's the coolest thing you, you got. And then we, you know, we do some circling and um but to your point a lot of that stuff does get lost but then when we get back i talk to them all right here's the two things i remember you and i talking about um let's see if we can start implementing that so hopefully we can at least remember five of the 50 good ideas that we had um Uh, yeah because that can be a huge challenge is is the the information overload can be a little challenging but but maybe even i think there's something to be said for having the fact that it is a whole week and you can't action you know by noon on monday you, right. you, because you're there that as great as that idea may have been at 11, maybe better stuff that's coming throughout the week. And so it gives you then the opportunity to take all of the content that you've got, that you've captured and take that top 25%. Yeah. yeah what was nice, at least at the last reInvent is I think they streamed all the sessions, like lo- yeah. more or less live streamed everything. 
Um, so as I was at various things, I could message the team who was watching it while, you know, they were still in the office. Like, hey, remember this for me when I get back. And then they, because they're sitting at their computers, it's a lot easier for them. And then they're watching it also. So yeah. despite the fact they didn't get to go, we still, you know, had a little bit of a connection because we were all, you know, kind of watching it from different perspectives. Yeah. Now, one of the sessions, it's funny you say that, because one of the types of sessions I will traditionally not go watch live is keynotes. Um, I love the excitement of the keynote, um, but I would much rather have hands-on keyboards, taking notes and screenshots so that I can catalog that stuff. I still love to, you know, I'll take the iPad and I've got good notes on it so I can write my notes because I love the tactile nature of that. It keeps my brain engaged. Um, But but on those keynotes where they're throwing stats and cool stuff is happening... I'm not encouraging you not go to the keynote, but for me, it makes more sense to watch it remotely. Yeah, I mean, I I do the same. The, the, the information just comes too fast and too furious. I mean, you're getting, you know, they're they're talking about five different product launches in the span of two minutes. Like, um, and then you see people, you know, taking pictures with their phones out yeah. there. But I mean, then then are you are you getting lost in the moment? It's kind of like the concert goers who are who are recording stuff. Like, you're doing that, yes, but you're losing being in the moment at the same time. You just don't have all yeah. the tools necessary to really multitask. Um, because That's you're right. trying to be there in the experience. So, yeah, so it's kind of a little bit live, of a shuttle. That pause button works. Yeah, exactly. It's it's very, pause, very, very right, nice. And, then, and then you, can skip, you can skip forward, you can skip backwards. Um, but if you've never been to a keynote, I do think there's energy in the room. Oh, of it's being something to be experienced. You should, you should definitely do it at least once. But to your point, af- after the 10th, uh, I mean, I, I, I've had a lot of energy in my life. <laughs> you, you, my, my old man is showing through a little bit. <laughs> now, how many people will you guys take to the event? Uh, we're we're going to probably try to take five or six people um, okay. this year. Now, so, so not not um, not too too many. Yeah. Now the now with that amount of and that's a that's a pretty good number by the way. Is the thing is, do you guys get together and and divide and conquer on sessions so they get as much coverage as possible, or does everybody just sort of choose their own? So, um, so what we did last year was again because they were there, they did they streamed so many. There was a lot of divide and conquering because not only did the you know the few of us who went get to get to go and go to various sessions, but everyone who was online was we more or less like watched every session by yeah. somebody. I don't know if they're gonna do that again today this year, like if they're gonna stream everything like like they had been in the past. Um, but yeah, what we will divide to a certain extent. But I can also say like, and, and maybe we're just disruptive in the sessions. Going to a session with someone else and being able to talk, you know, we try to whisper about it live with each other. It just, it sticks better. Like all those, those are the sessions I always remember when I'm sitting next to a person, we're having a live conversation about what we're seeing. Oh man, did you catch that? That really, we should really remember that. Yeah. How many times have you sat there and they, they launch a new thing and you go, that would have saved us so much time. Remember how much time we spent last year solving for this on our own? Now it's as a service. Yeah, uh, oh, yeah, exactly. And sometimes it's like, oh man, I'm glad we were behind because now we don't have to rebuild it. But then the other side of it is, when we did build it, oh, do we want to rebuild it? Because what they built sounds like it's going to be better. And I have this custom code that I don't really want to maintain um, yeah. going forward. But it happens every single reinvent. I mean, it never fails, and I'm sure it's going to happen again. I mean, we're that that's kind of the price you pay of being on the cutting edge of this stuff. Is right. um, I you have to think like, man, there's other companies who are having the same problems I have. If AWS doesn't have a tool for it yet, they will at some yep. point. May not be today, may not be tomorrow, but eventually they will. And you know, it tends to be a done. So, so you made a comment earlier where I think it was after Summit uh, when they described some of the stuff. You came back and and it goes back to the whole ticketing thing, but it was how you changed maybe some of the design of the teams. 
And I find it really interesting when we think about how do we man- how do we manipulate the human element? Manipulates the wrong word. How do we design the human element to get the most out of those experiences to better the company? So how are you um, adjusting team structure, flow, workflow to 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 get to get better outputs for the company? Yeah, so so for better or for worse, we, we over at JobDocker, we we do a fair number of, of restructuring, mostly to, to do that in order to to maximize the people. Um, and, and most of our devs understand that, like we're not doing it um, maliciously or, or to make their lives harder. Like the, the net net is trying is trying to get more output for them. Um, but but generally, what we're doing is. I'm a believer in autonomy and authority in the various teams. So I want to make sure the tech leads fully own their domains and we're big on the domain driven design and all of those things. Um, and there are always new tools coming out to make that easier. So what the inherent problem with creating, you know, 15 different product domains like we have over here is that you end up with 15 different silos um, to some extent, right? The tech lead has their own little, their own little kingdom and they're allowed to do whatever they want in their kingdom. And that's the design. We don't want them to have to check in with 14 different teams. Yeah. Um, but then inevitably what happens is that 14 teams start to drift apart sometimes and we have to yeah. bring them back to the center. And um, some of the newest, coolest tools have allowed us to better serve them like the data meshes and all the alerts that are happening and, um, and the, and the data catalogs and things so that we can make sure that the, there is at least consistency in the data in the processes coming out of the various teams. Yeah. Um, but but I do also love the sessions at Arena where, where they talk about how, how do you solve communication challenges? How do you navigate the conflicts? How do you have less meetings? Because um, that's a never-ending battle, right? Like no never developer ending. wants to be in a meeting ever. They don't even like the stand-ups you make them do. Yeah. Um, so how, how do we leverage tools and process to, to make it so they can do less of that and more of the thing that they like to do? All right, so what's working for you in that area? It's a never-ending battle, but where was the success you can call out? Um, so right now, our biggest is, so so right now we are clustering our teams into into three different classifications. So tier one is like our most important products, which have our most mature and biggest teams. And um, previously, what we were doing is we basically treated all the teams the same, no matter how big or how small they were. So if you had one tech lead and one dev, we treated it the same as the you know one tech lead and ten dev um, team, which is not really how how it should work. But now we're the evolution now is trying to divvy up the resources a little bit better. These teams have this amount of structure. These teams get a little bit um, less oversight because the product is less mature, but that less oversight also allows them to innovate faster, right? Like, cause they can, they can be a little bit more wild west. Um, at some point they grow up and then they're gonna have to mature. So um, getting away from the one size fits all is, is the latest thing that we're doing. On, on away from the one size fits all. I love that. Now, but some stuff really does require a bit of a top down. I think about tooling, I think about you know, hey, there are 50 different services in, in AWS that'll do the thing. We're going to use these two. This is where we want to focus on that stuff. So how do you, you know, do, do the teams get to, is there some debate there? Or is that one of the things that you, I'll call it command and control or make make executive decisions? So, so our approach to that is, um, and back in the day, people would just develop frameworks for this. Like if you were, if you use .NET, then that meant that you were going to use uh, Microsoft servers and MS SQL. Like once you chose one, it chose everything. And in these That's days, right. you don't have to be quite so rigid. Um, so we give you guidelines. If you want to build a front end, like we would prefer you use React, and every most people are going to do that. And there's going to be a lot of support for that. But if you have a reason and you have a valid business reason to use another one, we're not going to necessarily stop you. Yeah. But we're going to ask questions as to why. So. Um, um, there's basically like these pre-chosen tech 
technologies that you can use without asking us um, because everyone is already using them. And then everything else you have to take to a tech design session and the architects, and then they're going to challenge your business thinking and make sure that you, that it actually will come together. And if you can, then sure, you can, you're welcome to use that. And if it shows enough promise, then maybe that will replace the thing that we already have in our, in our cookbook, so to speak. So you've got a lot of flexibility where people have autonomy to experiment and then be able to come back and say, this is the reason why we think solution B is better than what we've been using in solution A. I, I mean, I'm even a believer in all, the only thing that matters from your domain is a consistent input and consistent output. So mm. as long as the stuff that comes in is 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 code contracted and you're matching it and the stuff that comes out matches the code contract, I don't really care what happens on the inside, but I do care what happens with all the other teams because that's where you start affecting the other the other pieces. And that's worked reasonably well. I, and I say reasonably because there has, have been some misses where um, a couple of teams have gone down a very not so great path and, and wasted, you know, a few weeks or months sometimes and I had to come back to it. Right. Um, but I also think there's value in those learning lessons, right? Like, because otherwise you just don't know what those tools did. Like, sure, we didn't launch a product, but we learned a lot about that, te- that yeah. piece of technology and that approach. And that had some value somewhere eventually. Well, and there's also value in that freedom that the techs have to be able to do that sort of research. Yeah. Even if you have to dial them back in after a period of time, um, they feel a part of the process. There's buy-in to being a part of the whole team. I think that's that's yep. pretty awesome. Now, let's give some perspective to the size of the team. You know, I'm not asking for secret sauce here, but generally speaking, when I think about your your tech team from the, the coders to managers, the whole thing, you know, roughly order of scale, what's the size? Uh, in the technical organization, there's roughly 220 people. That's all the product managers. That's all the tech people, the QA, IT operations, product operations support. So when we create autonomous teams, you have, you have everything. So you'll have a product manager, product owner, you'll have your tech lead and your devs. You will have specialists and operations people who are running the product. You'll have IT operations and QA people who will keep it together. That, that way, you know, you are your own full independent team. Now, is that, is that around a specific technical outcome? Is that around a specific product that's part of the whole job target suite? How do you subdivide those teams up? So, so we've d- done them based on business domains, wherever there are natural points of separation. So, so generally, it will be a product that a customer can buy because that's the that's the most natural place yeah. that you can create these separations. But sometimes those products are simply too big. So, one product a customer is buying is split into three or four, and then we have like our corporate shared services that that are going and being shared across you know multiple yeah. products. Now, I would think having this level of of autonomy, which drives creativity, which drives engagement, would also be helping a lot with. Um, employee retention, which is a super hard thing these days. Um, how, how is your team doing as far as retaining the talent that you've got and attracting new when you need it? it, it it's done very, very well. I mean, it, uh, I would say out of the 200 people, we probably only lost one or two in the last year. Ugh, to, that's nothing. That's incredible. Yeah, exactly. Ba- basically nothing. No, that's you know, a, for that's, all it's not even a rounding error. Yeah. And, and I think the two people we lost were because, um, so, so we're in the U.S. And, and in Cebu, the Philippines, they moved from the Philippines to like another, another country. Yeah. And we just we couldn't keep them anymore because of like, like work logistics, like right. remote work only goes so far in with us. Like you can't, you can't just pick any country in the world for, um, in our case, yeah. um, but you can't pick like any state. So if you move, if you move within the U.S., that's one thing, but if you leave, once you leave, once you leave, that's, that's, that's a different ball game. How many yeah. total people in the company job target? Uh, we have 450, 480 people total. Yeah. So effectively the tech team is half the company. 
Yep. Yeah, because the tech team also has the operations team. So, and a lot of companies will separate the operations world into into no, in a, another group. But yeah. because I, we're trying to silo them with the product teams, because we think that that gives um, the product owners and product managers the most visibility into what's going wrong. Like, if you have to, someone on your team has to answer these customer problems, you're going to know about these problems better than it happening off in the silo and no one ever hearing about it, and then it just never gets fixed because you're like, wait, I didn't even know that was a problem. Yeah, the the old school tech guy in me, where operations was in a different building compared to the yeah. devs compared to the business and you've got that whole group brought together under single leadership that's pretty incredible right. yeah yeah i mean what it it works very well for each individual product we, we are still having growing and 